As a church, this month we have uh, plunged into an experience we call 30 Days of Prayer, and uh, I hope you've taken advantage of uh, the resources and uh, the various settings where people have hosted prayer gatherings, and of course we've been focusing on that on, on Sunday morning as well. I'm going to invite a couple of, uh, of folks to come up and just share a bit about their experience. Uh, Martin and Mary, if you'd come up and join me here. That would be great. So, I have no idea what's coming here, but I'm sure it's going to be inspiring. I, t- I was told you were going to ask us questions. Oh, oh, well, I am. I am. I am. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to prompt you. Okay. Not that you ever needed prompting, Mary, but I'm going to ask, first of all, Martin, so you can think about. Okay. I think we're on now. All right. So tell us what the experience has been like for you so far, Martin. Just uh, give us a general description. Okay, sure. Um, well, uh, I sign up for Mondays from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. So if anyone's not busy tomorrow at 7 a.m., feel free to come by. Um, it's been two Mondays so far. Uh, the first Monday, I was actually locked out of the building um, and just waited for people to show up, and maybe we can just pray in the van that I was in. Uh, and actually, no one showed up. Which one? It was it was good because no one had to wait out in the cold. Um, two, uh, it was really uh, refreshing because I had like a whole hour to myself just to do my quiet time. So I I journaled, um, I prayed, I read my Bible, uh, and it was from what I recall probably the first time in I hate to say it maybe like years since I had like a really hmm. solid. Um, time with the Lord where I felt like I wasn't just doing my QT because that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Um, and I, I just didn't do it and then to get out of the way. But it was, you know, I had a whole hour to myself. Um, I, there's no one else showing up. So it was, yeah, it was the first time I felt really uh, like I actually connected with the Lord in a real way. Wow. So, so. What's going to change, do you think, as a result of that experience? Um, well, I've decided to quit my job and preach the gospel. For, no, just kidding. Uh, no, um, I, I think, you know, one of my big resolutions for the year... Oh, you weren't serious about that. <laughs> no, not yet. Um, I, I, one of my big resolutions for the 2013 was I wanted to be um, more consistent with my quiet times. And so I was, I was telling my wife, Eileen, this, and she said, I don't mean to be, like, crude or anything, but she goes, well, you're in, you're in the bathroom, like, for 10, 15 minutes every morning, you know, <laughs> checking your stocks and, you know, checking your email. You know, my, why don't you just, you know, read your Bible for 10 or 15 minutes? And I was all... Checking your email in the bathroom. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, God bless iPhones, right? Um, <laughs> so I... I I actually took that to heart, and I started doing that. Sorry, so weird, right? Um, and it's actually been pretty cool. And uh, for the first time in a long time, I've been very consistent with my reading. And I, I started doing that in January. Um, and then when the prayer thing came up in, in the beginning of February, it was just sort of like the next step to uh, okay. um, spending time with the Lord. So... Yes. You're getting some great practical great. ideas here, folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah. 
Anything else in terms um, of, of, of dare, I, dare I ask? In terms uh, of how this is maybe changing you and the way you think about the need for that kind of time? Um, yeah, I think uh, so. I, I meet every now and then with um, some older brothers uh, just to do life on life. And uh, I, I told this older brother that, uh, you know, I, I felt like for a few years, um, my walk with the Lord was a little, I don't want to say fake, but my, yeah. but my walk with the Lord was you know, it just wasn't the same. Yeah. I think we all know what fake is like. We've, we've done that. So, I mean, I joke around with the whole January bathroom thing. And I really feel like it's been like a life-saving thing. Good. And so when... I was asked to do the Monday morning prayers. Part of me was really excited to meet with the Lord again. And the other side of me was pretty intimidated and scared. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like it had been such a long time since I've been with him. So, yes, the prayers on Monday mornings have been really good, very um, refreshing. And you have found that he welcomed you back. Hmm. Yeah. Good. Sorry. It's okay. No, thank you for being so real with us. So, yeah, um, it's been a long time since I've really connected with the Lord and uh, it feels really awesome mm. to be welcomed so easily back and having a relationship with again rather than just um, as they say just going through the motions yeah thank you appreciate that Mary What's your experience been um, the last month or so? Actually, um, I'm actually leading a group. And um, I have to say that even when we did the first week and we talked about temptation, one of the things that God really revealed to me is that, um, you know, my temptation is fear and worry, um, some guilt, and uh, not feeling like I'm up to the task. And in, in this instance where he, he really led me to lead a group, I was like, you know, God, I'm good one-on-one. I'm not so great, you know, with a group. And, um, but, you know, I got that shove, and I just closed my eyes and walked forward. And what I'm finding is, is that God is providing absolutely everything that I need in any moment. Um, 
you know, I sit down to prepare, and it's like everything gets laid out for me, and it makes so much, it, it makes so much sense. And, um, and, of course, my husband's in my group, so he gives me fabulous feedback. He says, we need snacks, Mary. <laughs> it's my husband. You know, food. So um, next time, he brings snacks. And sure enough, it made, you know, it made a huge difference. Everybody came early, and they had their snacks, and it was wonderful. And I have just this incredible group of people that um, I never expected to see show up at my house and um, have just been an incredible blessing to me. Um, they, each of us, when we give feedback or we're doing whatever we're doing, is really, it touches each one of us. No accident, when we came up with temptations and listened to God, we all had the same things, all of us. And I'm like, in my prayer, I'm going, God... <laughs> You know, no accident that you brought us all together to work on the things that we're working on. And um, I have to tell you that one of my great inspirations in terms of how God challenges us is my dear friend Jack, who's sitting here and who's laughed at me earlier. Um, We're, you know, in our 50s, and Jack decides as he's working towards retirement that it's time to adopt a child. And so he adopted Landon when he was three years old. And um, Landon's here today. He's eight years old. And um, I'm like, no, I'm done with kids. I you know, don't ever <laughs> want to do that again. And I look at, I look at Jack, and he's just such you know, a mentor to me and one who just, no, it's, this is what we're going to do no matter what it takes and moves forward. And I'm finding that that's how God is using me. I'm stepping forward more and more as he's challenging me and becoming... Um, not brave, but just relaxed and surrendering. And the piece of that is incredible. Like the song says, his love never ends. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing for you too, Martin, is yeah. his love never ends. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, want to, uh, I want to pray in this kind of sacred moment. Come here, you guys. I just want to pray for you, and I want to pray for all of us too, because I think you heard something. I think we all heard something that was... Um, Pretty honest and very challenging and uh, very hopeful. Dear God, um, when we make time for you, we make time to meet with you. And when others are, are with us or when we're alone, you have so much to tell us and to teach us and ways you want to change us. And I thank you for the evidence of that um, up in front of us right now and uh, for the courage to talk about it and to lean into the future you have for us. And God, if we would make you the priority in our lives and let you do with us as you choose, because we know it's all about some very big blessings. And we're, um, as Martin reminded us, um, excited about that and afraid of that at the same time. And that's where we are because we're very human. And Lord, but when we step into it, and um, get into it with you. You surprise us with, uh, with good gifts. And we thank you for that reminder this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you thank guys. You. Thanks. I stood on the edge, looking down at the abyss below, and it was completely dark, and it was cold, even though it was May, and it was starting to rain. But we had made a commitment to each other that before we left the campus at Cornell University,
before Wendy, our daughter's graduation, was done, we were going to jump from the bridge into the river that runs through the gorge down the center of this beautiful campus. That was supposed to happen in daytime. But it was the last night, so we had to do it, and um, I was now on the ledge all by myself because my daughter and her friends had already jumped off, and my son had just jumped off. And even though it was only 30 feet down there, and I've gone as high as 80 feet, so that's my, that's my record. But I've always been able to see what I'm jumping into. And it makes a difference when you can't see because it was you know, approaching midnight, and it was dark, and, and it was rainy, and it was cold. And I yelled at my son. My son sitting right here, by the way. This little guy over here. <clears throat> I said, so how you doing? How, does that, how did that feel? It was so cold, he could, literally could not speak. So I didn't know if he was there or, or gone. But standing on there, you know, having climbed over the railing of the bridge and standing at the edge, I was, you know, as the dad required to do it. So I took that leap of faith. And I know you're waiting breathlessly. I survived. (laughs) But jumping into the unknown, jumping into a situation where you've, you've never been there before and you can't see it and you can't predict it and you certainly have no control over it and... And as you hit the water, you do lose your breath because it was so cold. And we drifted downstream and then all kind of had a joyful reunion at the end. Following Christ is kind of like that. Um, Responding to the call to follow him, the call to discipleship is is like that. Um, And you've heard even this morning, even with the testimonies you just were listening to, you know, more emotion than anybody expected to hear and any more emotion than they expected to express, I'm sure. Um, It's a powerful thing to take God at his word. Uh, We like to sort of plan and manage and uh, and we do a lot of compromising and, uh, you know, the time may not be right, so we put it off and we postpone and pretty soon years have gone by. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, we're in this series looking at uh, the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And if you look at uh, chapter 4, verse 18, and it'll be up on the screen, you'll hear these words, this description. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. This was their life, tending to their own business, living life as they had for years. It was all a routine. They were in charge. That was not in the scripture. I just was commenting on that. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. What is your life like? What is the routine of your world and your life? And then suddenly, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The call to discipleship. The call to be a follower of Christ. The term Christian, you know, doesn't show up until the book of Acts. And it's actually used by um, 
the enemies, the critics of those who were followers of Jesus. Oh, you're the Christians. That wasn't the original term. It was simply disciples. They were disciples, and they were followers of, of Jesus, this itinerant rabbi who was doing the most unusual things and creating quite a, um, a, a sensation in the world um, where he was, he was wandering around and doing his teaching and his, and his healing and, and, uh, and, and, and rumors of these miracles. And then he collected some folks, which raises a lot of questions in our minds. In fact, I'd like to address five or six of these frequently asked questions about discipleship. And the first question is, um, if I'm going to follow him, how do I find him? How do I find him? Uh, Well, here's a simple answer to the question. He'll find you. Uh, Yes, we're uh, insatiably curious, and we're very religious, and we have lots of spiritual quests that are recommended to us, but ultimately, it is God's initiative that locates you. He finds you. He made you. He knows you. He knows all about you. He has this passion to connect with you, and he comes after you, like he comes after these two sets of brothers and so many others, some of them individually and some of them as they were part of a crowd, some of them who had uh, the right background and the right pedigree and some of them who didn't at all, totally unexpected that he would show up and talk to them and reach out to them. Um, Jesus was unlike the other rabbis because the other rabbis, you would uh, watch them in action And you would sort of compare them to each other and decide if you wanted to be a follower and perhaps get into one of their schools, you would ask them if you could join them. Jesus came after you. Jesus made the choice. Um, You knew you weren't imposing on him. In fact, he's kind of imposing on you. He's kind of crowding you a little bit. He's coming after you. He's, He's cutting into your space. And he says, I know you. I love you. I want you. Come and follow me. Second question. If I'm going to follow him, where is he going? If I'm going to follow him, where is he going? Well, I have another simple answer for you. If the answer to the first question is, how do I find him? Well, he'll find you. Second question, where is he going? Well, why don't you follow him and find out? You don't like these answers, do you? Why don't you follow him and find out? Because you'll end up in places you didn't even know existed. You'll go on an adventure you can't even imagine in advance. But know that when you're following him, what's going to happen is that um, you're going to learn a lot. And that's what you would expect, you know, joining a school, following a rabbi, sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. You're going to learn a lot, but it isn't just about that. It's about following an example. It's about living a life. It isn't just about acquiring information. It's about a change that will take place deep inside of you as you spend time with him. Because where you focus and as you watch him and as you do life with him, that's going to have a profound influence on you and you're going to become more and more like him. And I suppose if you don't want that to happen, then you shouldn't follow. 
He does take the initiative, but you will have to make a response. You are not forced to follow. You could attend church every week and refuse to follow. You can watch kind of like a spectator and never get in the game. But if you're going to follow him, you're going to learn a lot. A whole world will open up to you. A new kingdom will become transparent to you. But most of all, you will change on the inside. You ready for that? Now the answer is, is honestly no, I'm not ready for that, but I'm going to, if I dare, if I will take one small step of faith, I'm going to go on that road because there's something so compelling about him. There's something so unusual about him. There's something so beautiful about him, uniquely among all the leaders I could follow that I'm going to take a leap of faith. Can you picture yourself climbing over the railing of a bridge and staring down into the water that you can't see, that will take you someplace you can't know in advance? But um, somehow you sense that's exactly what God is calling you to do. This is what your life is about. This is what you were made for. And you can't miss it. You could play it safe all your life, You could even play it safe in a religious sense and believe stuff, whatever you decide to believe, and never actually put it into practice. So, the answer to the second question is uh, find him and follow him, and you'll find out. You'll find out where you're you're going, and it will be um, of a life full of surprise and full of blessing and full of challenge. In fact, the challenges are going to be so difficult if you follow him. If you knew all of them in advance, you probably wouldn't go. So he doesn't tell you. You don't want to know. But the joy is so unimaginable that you don't want to miss it. So he will provide what you need to take on the challenges, and he will gift you in ways that will forever change your life. So the third question is, what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean? That's, uh, that's a really interesting question. What does it mean to follow him? It's a call and not a role. It's a big mistake that I think we make. Um, We take on roles. We take on jobs. We take on tasks. This is not that. This is a call. This is about a commitment of your life. It's it's a calling. It's a vocation. That's the word in the Latin for call. This is um, what you were made for. This is who you are now. This is the voice you're going to respond to. A role you can play a role you can take on for a while and then move out of. Because it's something out here, it's something external. But a call is all-absorbing. It takes you somewhere. And it re-identifies you. It renames you. This is your purpose, this call. It's an absolute call. Notice that... They left 
their nets, their boat, their father. I don't know how dad felt about that. Um, Might have been a bit puzzling to him, might have been disappointing to him, because after all, dad may have had plans for them, and the plans involved them taking over the family business. And of course, you want to ask the question, does that mean that God is calling me to leave the job I have right now? And the very definite answer I can give you is, I have no idea. Martin uh, raised the possibility (laughs) a moment ago. But that really isn't the point. The point isn't what job do you hold. The question is, what is your calling? And whatever your calling is, whether you're uh, a school teacher, an engineer, CEO of a corporation, a techie, um, a doctor, a cop on the street, Whatever you are, whatever your job is, whatever your life circumstances are, your calling is this. Your calling is to be a follower of Christ. And let him and his values permeate everything that you do, wherever you are. There were others who heard the call from Jesus. If you go into Luke chapter 9 at the very end, we won't look at it, but I'll just tell you, Jesus was calling lots of folks to follow him. Some of them we know by name, many of them we don't know by name. Because he was all about calling people. He was all about bringing people together. He was all about creating a new community that would be identified by the character of Christ. Something new in the world, really a new humanity, was being created here. And one of them said, when he said, would you, you know, follow me. By the way, I, I, I just sort of, As I was trying to paraphrase it, I kind of dumbed it down a little bit. Would you please follow me is what I would have said. He just says, follow me. It's a take it or leave it offer. It is a command. It is a mandate. Well, you can refuse it. But he's being very direct and he's being very personal and he looks you in the eye and he calls you by name and he says, follow me. Because that's my plan. That's my purpose for your life. And this is ultimately about your fulfillment. This is about you finding the meaning of your life. This is about making the most of your life and all that I have put into you. So follow me. We would like something a little bit more definitional, something a little bit more procedural, something that had a little bit more uh, you know, um, background to it. But he simply says, follow me, because being with me, you will discover and you will answer all the questions that you need to have eventually. Follow me. So... We have a person responding, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. Now, is that a reasonable request? That's a very reasonable request, except commentators believe this. The man's father had not died yet. He turns around to another person and says, follow me. And the man says, I will follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. Is that a reasonable request? It's a delaying tactic because commentators, once again, looking at very carefully at that culture and that circumstance and say, the saying goodbye part is going to take a long, long time. It's going to take days, if not weeks, if not months, if not forever. Lord, first, let me do this. Let me get married first. Let me have children first. Let me get a better job first. Let me retire 
first. You see where this is going? It's an endless delaying tactic. It might not even be um, intentional on our part. It might simply be a way of saying, I've got to line everything up. You see, I was taught. I was trained. My original family told me I had to do certain things before then I was free to make my own decisions. Now, it's very interesting because we think of the Bible as family-friendly. And this almost sounds a bit cold, if not a little bit harsh. Um, I want to bury my father, which means I have to continue to be on his agenda until such time as he is no longer on this earth, and then I will be free. The other man says, let me go say goodbye to my family. I've got to finish some things up. I've got to take care of some business that I have first. Now, if he's Lord, nothing else can be first. That's what it means to follow. It's not a halfway following. It's not a sort of um, conditional following. It's, it's a following. You have my full attention. I'm going with you. I now belong to you. That's what he's asking for. That's the only way it works. That's the only way it works. So what about family? Isn't family important? Isn't family really, really, really important? Yes, more important than you know. But if you don't put Christ first, you'll never understand how to relate to your family. If your family has absolute authority, then God doesn't by definition. And even family can become an idol. And only God knows perfectly well, out of his infinite wisdom, what you need, and he will show you how to treat your family. Which means at some point you may have to say to someone in your family, I appreciate your suggestion. I even appreciate your command. But I respond to a higher authority now. And I will follow him. He is Lord. He is first in my life. And he will show me the way I can live life. And he will ultimately show me how to relate to with integrity and with wisdom and with great love. My family that may not always appreciate that. But I only have to please him ultimately. So as you're going, understand that you are going, this is a very, very serious commitment. And this is a wonderful trajectory. And because you are now single-minded and single-hearted in your allegiance to him, everything else will align to that. Otherwise, you're going to be in a tug of war. People will be tugging at you. You'll hear different voices pulling you in different directions. You will ultimately get confused. You will try to please everybody else. And ultimately, you'll end up pleasing almost no one. Because no one will be happy with all these decisions that you're making as you are torn apart. And so to live in integrity, to be one whole person, an integer, you have to make a final decision about who has the ultimate voice of authority in your life. And Jesus is saying, I'm that person. That's an audacious claim. Only God himself can ask for and can deliver on such a claim. And so the answer to that question is, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you have a call on your life. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you're putting him first, you're giving him the priority, and he will show you how everything else lines up. And I know that's a bit scary because there's a lot of conflicting demands that come in on you, but this is a very liberating principle. If you know who you're following, you can now check with him about everything else. 
And if you're checking with the right person, the one who has the wisdom, the one who has your best interests at heart, the one who has a mission for you and your life, he will sort it out for you. And he will give you that wisdom. But it's important that we tune in to that voice. Now, this is a bit existential for me right now because what does it mean to follow him? It means an incredible flexibility because I'm listening for guidance and I think I need certain terms and conditions to make this work and apparently sometimes he doesn't. For example, tonight there's a group of us who are flying out to Haiti for a week of uh, doing some some work in Haiti and and, uh, really looking forward to that. But I had some plans that have changed already this week about this trip coming up. And I don't like that. I don't like it when you mess with my plans. I don't like it when the guy that's going with me as my partner this week to do the part that I'm responsible to do, which is spending time with, a, with a several hundred pastors in Haiti, and he had to cancel this week because of a crisis in his life. But if, in fact, it's Jesus who's leading me and who's leading us on this mission, I've got to believe that Jesus is not thrown off by this. Because guess who is? Big time. And he's going to fill in and he's going to provide and he's going to help me adjust. And uh, I can count on, I already am looking forward to, beginning to anyway, some wonderful surprises because I am going, um, you know, with, uh, with half an engine into this. And that's been hard. And so what happens when you don't exactly know what the plans are or they change on you? For example, we're doing some VBS, our children's ministry here. Uh, several are going to lead a children's program there. And so we're, at, we're doing eight of them in eight places. We usually do one per week. We're doing eight this week, eight different places. And these pastors are so excited that we're coming and doing, and I've promised them the greatest VBS they've ever. Because <laughs> I know what we can do here. And we have to do it in Creole, by the way. We're not doing it in English. And so um, I asked, what, give us an estimate of the number of children that will be in each place. And he said, okay, let me give you an estimate. You may have a group as small as 50, or you may have 1,000 now, um, I almost want to say good luck at the end of that, but I don't, we're not counting on good luck. We're counting on literally the presence of God and the provision of God. And uh, I have been around long enough and I have been in enough situations to know that God comes through, always comes through, hardly ever in the way I think he should or want him to, but he does something quite brilliant. And the result is amazing um, in, from, from any, any angle. And so... If I'm going, what does it mean to follow him? It means that I am wide open. It means that I can turn on a dime. It means that we can improvise if we have to. Because if he's still leading, we're never out of answers. We're still going. And if we run into difficulties, which undoubtedly we will, this is Haiti after all. I've been there a few times. I know, I, I know what it's like to be there. And yet I don't really know what this week is going to be like. But it allows me to go with confidence and to go in peace. And that's true for you too, wherever you go, as long as you're going with him, as long as you're following him. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to take care of you. He knows how to stretch you and make you uncomfortable in a way that's good for you. 
Are you ready to go? Are you willing to follow? And if even if you're somewhat hesitant and you don't have the answers and you're a little bit confused, go anyway. I mean, look at the disciples that we do know about. They stumbled as they went along the way. Because it isn't up to us in our strength to figure it out. He will pick us up. He will redirect us. He will forgive you. And he will give you strength and he will reissue the call as often as you need it. What will you be doing? What will I be doing as I follow him? You'll be fishing. What does that mean? Well, Jesus, of course, used that metaphor because that's what these guys did. I wonder what your metaphor is. I wonder what the translation is from whatever it is that you do and that you love to do and that you do well and can now do for the kingdom of God. Ultimately, what it means is is that people become your passion. You'll be fishers of men. You'll be fishers of men and women, of boys and girls, of people, all kinds of people. People outside your own experience, people who uh, make you uncomfortable, people who speak a different language, who belong to a different culture, people who have no interest in your belief system. Those are the people you'll be fishing for. Those are the people you'll be caring about. The Apostle Paul probably gets as close as any human being did to experiencing this in terms of his view of the people that he was sent to. And I would hope that I could get to this place myself and that all of us could because if you get there, you have become as Christ-like perhaps as you. We have any hope of ever becoming in this world, in this lifetime. Because Paul says this. He says, well, let me read it for you. From 1 Thessalonians, he's talking about these people. And Paul, of course, the apostle sent to these people. So he's on a fishing expedition constantly. And I don't want you to think of, of, uh, you know, this is the call that, you know, sort of special for pastors and evangelists and so on. And it's a call on all of us, really. I mean, Paul, you know, continued to, um, he was a businessman his whole life. He never was full-time in ministry. He gave himself completely to people, however, wherever he was. And that's what Christ is going to do to us. He's going to change our orientation so that we care about people in ways that we never knew how to do before. So Paul says this to the Thessalonians, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Kind of hard to resist someone like that who's coming at you that hard, representing God's love that well with you. At the very end of this chapter, he goes on, For what is our hope, our joy, the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Now, I would be tempted to answer that as, well, some great accomplishment, some great program that I've created, um, something heroic. What is the glory? What is the joy? What is the crown? What is the hope? Is it not you, Paul writes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Sometimes I think that Christians, true followers of Christ, are the last humanists left. Humanists in the sense of valuing human beings. All kinds of human beings. Not falling into the trap of of, of prejudice and of judgment, and certainly not of hatred or hostility but opening our hearts because Jesus is now opening up a world and showing us what he thinks of this world that God loves. 
And so the compassion of Jesus is, uh, is the bait, if you will. The compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, drives us toward people that we badly want to introduce into the kingdom of God. Which is, which is the final question. How do I fish for people? Jesus equips us. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. You don't know how to do this. Your heart isn't quite up to this. You're a little bit afraid of this. You're not really a people person. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you a heart for people. I will teach you compassion. I will show you how to love. I will give you humility if you don't have it, Doug, or anybody else who needs it. And I will... I'm asking you to partner with me. By the way, follow me doesn't mean tag along with me. Come along for the ride. Follow me means participate with me. Accompany me. Assist me. Partner with me. Be a part of this. A valuable part of this. And you're going to invite people into the kingdom of God. You're going to share the possibility of a relationship with God with people. You're going to show up and you're just going to, by the, by the way you care you're going to be a message of hope. Don't we need that badly? Don't we need that badly? So I know we're standing on the edge again and we're looking into the abyss and it's kind of dark and murky and we don't know what's, what's coming. If we jump in, if we actually sold out for Him and let go of every inhibition and compromise and said you've got me now i'm i'm going with you and if that means you're going to change me so be it i'm sure it's a change for the better let's pray together